Killjoys, PhD, and our feminism, pop culture, and politics, as discussed by two professional Killjoys. I'm Rachel. And I'm Melody. And today we'll be talking about DACA, and also we'll bring you a new segment we're calling Check Out These Badass WTF Activists. But first, Melody. (laughs) Where can our listeners find us on the internet, though, first? First off, let me just say, select places. Second off, let me list to you some of those places. Subscribe to us on iTunes if you haven't already, or your favorite podcast application. Extra FKJ points if you leave us a review. On the social meets tip, you can follow us on Twitter. You can follow us on Instagram. And then you can also like us on Facebook. You can like our episode page, Feminist Killjoys PhD, or you can join our closed community group. The community group is Feminist Killjoys Community WTF Power! Exclamation point. And uh, Rachel, do you want to pop in real quick and tell about the new new thing on Facebook? Yeah, we have a book club, a reading group. I'm so, so, so excited. We talked about this and because I was so excited about this book I'm reading, uh, I decided to do the first pick, but we'll be equitable about that and do other people's picks in the future. But... It's called Emergent Strategy. That's the name of the book we're reading. And if you are interested in reading collectively and discussing a really amazing book that talks about different forms of creating social change in the world through building our movements with a lot more sort of really cool feminist ethos to drive it. Uh, There's so much in there. I I don't even know how to summarize it, but it's really amazing. And there's going to be so much to discuss. So if you're interested in joining us, Join the Facebook group. If you don't know where to find that, message us, email us, do any of those things Melody just listed, and we will make sure we get you on there. Uh, We'll start discussing the introduction in Chapter 1 on September 18th. Excellent. My library doesn't have it, but I'm just going to order it because they always bring in books for me. It's very nice of them. Shout out to the library. Go ahead. Shout out to the library indeed and librarians. Yes. Uh, I have some reviews up. Oh, go ahead. So we've read we've read a bunch of these, but here's here's one that I think we haven't read. Okay, this is from Natasha Constance, 55. Melody and Rachel unapologetically offer challenging perspectives to listeners while discussing a wide variety of compelling concepts and current events. I wish everyone could listen to this podcast. Thank you, Natasha. I appreciate that. Here's another good one. Uh, Therapeutic yet activating. I like that. This is from Beanie. I really can't get enough of these two. They tackle important topics with the necessary delicacy and thoughtfulness, but their academic lens doesn't come off as elitist or overbearing, especially appreciative of the new newsletter component of their content. Now I can get more of them every week. Aw, shucks. I love it. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Aw, shucks. Very emotional of you. No, I mean it sincerely. We love those reviews, and honestly, they're incredibly helpful. So if you like our show but really can't do anything financially to support us or um, and you want to support us, leaving a, a review is a fantastic way to do that. And we would be so grateful if you took a couple minutes to leave us that. Yeah. and if But if you do want to leave us some money, Janie love, gave us another nice donation. I, oh, so Janie I, is I owe her a postcard. Best. 
She just wants postcards. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> we so love thank you, Jamie. Yeah, thank you. And then on our Patreon, we have a Patreon setup system. We got to do a bonus up soon, Rachel. We're not. It's true. I know. We have we to haven't... fulfill our, our, our deal, our end of the we deal. We definitely will. Yeah. Man. The I have an idea for one, too. Okay. So. Okay. Not Bachelor in Paradise, I hope. No, no. <laughs> no. We won't okay. burden people with a bachelor anymore. Okay. A burden or a learning opportunity? Learning you, opportunity. You you decide. Uh, <laughs> so Patreon, yes, you can leave us some monthly micro donations. And just so you know, FKJ also supports other podcasts and similar stuff. So we appreciate the sharing community that we have developed. Anyways, if you donate more than $1 or more, you get access to our Killjoy Review newsletter that the reviewer mentioned. $5 or more a month, you get our bonus apps that we are putting together. And now that I'm taking an illustration class, I mean, who knows? I might just start drawing stuff for y'all. You know, it's like I need some need some inspiration. So That's so cool. Tell yeah, we'll get to thank that. You for- well, let's yeah, just be done with the- – let's just be done. Like with all the, the other stuff. If you don't know where to email me, then just you'll have to tune in next week. <laughs> yeah, that's there's many places you can find us. But tell me, you're taking an illustration class. Blah, 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 blah. How are you, Rachel? Rachel says, no, Melody, you go first. Okay, I'll go first. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> Yeah, I started an illustration class with my awesome friend, Nicole. Shout out, Nicole. She probably doesn't listen to this, but she's like super rad. She's like Melissa McCarthy, like in terms of like being dry and super funny and yeah. um, self-deprecating and stuff. So we just have a blast together. Love and it. she's married to my friend, uh, Carolyn. So they're like all my favorite people, like two of them are married, thankfully. So they're in the same house. So then when I visit, you know, I get two for one. At any rate, we're taking an illustration class together, Nicole and I, and we are way not as like other people came in. It's not continuing ed like at the county library. It's mm-hmm. continuing ed at a art school. And so we're just like, whatever. And so we're like learning different techniques for illustration. And mm-hmm. we're just doing our own thing. And we want to make a comic book together, probably about cats and then some, oh my God, I love some it. stuff about depression and anxiety. Yeah, we just sit around and talk about our mental health problems. So it's good. It's good, good to have it. a friend like that. Yeah, yeah. So I'm no cat, you know, so you know, it's <laughs> never going to be at that level. Um, but maybe I could one day impress him with my illustration skills <laughs> slash another reason to talk with him at some point. So Which we will. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yay, they're coming up. Okay, to keep my check-in focus, the other thing I wanted to tell everybody is that I saw you too last night. My brother... In the name of love... Isn't that them? Yeah, yeah. Okay. One more in the name of love. Oh, do you know in that song, there's there's a whole verse about MLK getting shot. Oh, interesting. So one more dead in the name of love. So he uh, got it. Got shot in Memphis. Yeah. Yes. It's, yeah. The song's all about it. Yeah. Well, one so, of the verses. So we were discussing this a little bit before we started recording, but I mean, obviously they are political in that Bono is like a humanitarian and sings about MLK and Irish resistance and things of that nature. But you were saying that sort of decoding the sentiment of potentially patriotism was interesting and also you know he's a liberal and all these things so tell us more about what it was like yeah i would if anybody goes to see you two on this tour i would love to 
have a little online chat about that because like the Kendrick Lamar show, lots of visuals and meanings embedded into the visuals. This one was a little bit even more complex actually than Kendrick's because Joshua Tree, the album is what they're touring under because it's the 30th, yeah, 30 years since it came out. And so that album is written about America and you know how you two relates to America coming from Ireland. And so there were there was some visuals with America and you could definitely like I was telling Rachel off air, like if you were a Republican at that show, you wouldn't have felt alienated because you could just read into the patriotism because they had the American flag up untouched, right? Like so it wasn't there wasn't bullets through it or paint splashed on it. It was just a straight up American flag. At one point they put the Texas flag up in support of Harvey with no mm. critiques of, you know, climate change or any of that. Just kind of mm. a like you said, he's a humanitarian. You know, right. so like his his number one or the band's number one is to love and support everybody. Right. He does obviously have critiques of America. And I think if you, again, wanted to like this decoding language, you could have decoded it with a lot more radical of a reading. Like there was mm-hmm. definitely some resistance to it. But I think you would have to really catch what he was saying. And like the arena is not the pl- best place to hear everything that somebody speaks into a microphone. Right. The Probably the most radical moment happened w- towards the end of the night when they were doing a song and he started ta- – before the song started, he started talking about how important women are and then he – see, I didn't even hear this, but one of the music reviewers said – he quoted Bono saying – you need like you need to run to off run for office women because quote men fuck everything up. So mm. like he was you know his gender politics politics are pretty decent and then I put this on my personal IG but we could put it on the FKJ I can put it on the FKJ one as well. For the whole song <laughs> there were images of women and they kept switching but they weren't like your traditional like, you know, the women that we often go to in our culture for being like righteous, like Rosa Parks and Michelle Obama and Hillary Clinton, you know, mm-hmm. all did important things. But those are like the go to's. He had a like pussy riot. He had Heather Hare, who just passed. Mm-hmm. He, she was the one who died from the mm-hmm. white supremacist. Leisha Evans, Sojourner Truth, like cool. rad- like radical yeah. women. And um, Emma Goldman, like he and it awesome. kept switching like the whole thing. Angela Davis. I could just go on and on and on and on. That's rad. Like, super righteous. And at that moment, I was like, this is why Phoebe Robinson absolutely loves you, too. Like, yeah. And Phoebe is one of the dope queens. And she, this summer, on her social media, was, like, super obsessed with Bono and you 2 And I'm like, I, gu- I guess, like, you know, and I just, she's such a political person that I was like, you too, really. But then once I saw them, I was like, oh, this makes so much sense. Oh, sorry. One more thing about you two. They also, before the show, like before Beck went on and in between Beck and you two, they had poems going. So they had just hmm. poems scrolling and there were poems from like Puerto Rican poets, poets from all over. I was trying to s- screenshot a lot of the titles so I could remember. Mm-hmm. But one of them that that stood out to me was Langston Hughes. Cool. So like the whole show was very politicized, but again, it was easy to tune those poems out and it was right. easy just to read into the patriotism if you wanted. They're very thankful for America and they think, you know, they got obviously um, a lot of success here in America. It just always makes me feel uncomfortable when people like prop up this country. Mm-hmm. 
and I know he was criticizing our country as well, but mostly through supporting and uplifting women and women of color, white women and, you know, women of all colors. I sound like somebody on Color of Fear. Do you remember <laughs> that TV? Yeah. I'm, I'm colored too. I'm white. I'm colored. It's like, shut up, dude. That's uh, quotes, quotes from this documentary that we've mentioned before. That's yeah. what Melody was saying. It's amazing. But yeah. Uh, flashback Uh, i'm trying i don't mean to be that that person but anyways you know his critique came in lifting other people up meaning you know right right so it was it was complex it was complex but the the woman song that was that really got me i was like oh bono yeah and just the people that they highlighted usually i'm like yeah yeah right yeah that's pretty cool that's a pretty solid slideshow and heather hair i was like oh right feelings for sure, for sure. Yeah. Okay, that's me. How are you? Cool. Uh, I'm okay. Things are pretty pretty basic here. I my online class started that I mentioned I think last week. I had a very like I I had a moment that threw me back into grad school mindset mentality. I've been working on a fellowship application for a fellowship that is admittedly aiming high. It is something that I it's I am definitely not a shoe in. It's a very small percentage of people who get granted this fellowship. And I asked for a letter from a former from my former advisor, one of my former advisors, and this person uh, sort of politely discouraged me from applying. And that made me feel like all those horrible, insecure feelings that you feel as a grad student when your advisor isn't saying things that are only affirming of of your of you, who you are and your work. And the reason that this person was discouraging me is because they thought my project was not conservative enough for this fellowship that tends to lean conservative and so I like I that's obviously real like obviously none of my work is remotely conservative. So, you know, in some ways I appreciate it, but I also just had like a oh fuck, I remember what this feels like. Like I'm going to be depressed for a few hours about being a failure. And that sucked. So that was interesting, just sharing that because I know we have a lot of grad student listeners. So that happened, but I'm okay. And a good thing that happened this week is that I had a meeting with the Massachusetts Bail Fund, which is a fucking rad abolitionist organization that uh, works to get people out of jail when their bail is $500 or less. And uh, they're also working on doing more aftercare and support for folks once they're out, which is a little bit beyond their scope right now, but that's what they're working toward. And I wanted to be involved. I knew that I knew sort of of them through black and pink a little bit and had realized that they, that they remembered that they existed and reached out to them. And sort of offhandedly mentioned, I was like, I can be available for a lot of things. I have more time than usual, you know, and I'd be happy to do things like do fundraisers or what, and then I sort of listed some things. And she at our meeting was like, when you said fundraiser, and I saw like your qualifications, I was immediately hopeful that you could basically be like the volunteer fundraising coordinator. And because we're really bad at that. And it's a small volunteer staff, and we could really use that help. So I'm super excited that I just agreed to take that on. And fundraising was like the sort of thing that I did in my activist group in college. I was like always the one who was like, I'm going to throw the part. I'm going to like throw the house show. I'm going to host the house show. I'm going to like, we had a DIY fashion show for Iraqi labor, women labor unions. We had like, you know, vegan bake sales. We had like all this stuff. And I was always the one who was like, I'm totally going to take the rain, the strings on this. Awesome. So I feel like I'm 19 again because I'm working on uh, putting together a house show for one of the monthly or bi-monthly 
fundraisers that I'm going to do for this organization that I really believe in and I'm excited Aww. about it. So that's You good. are perfect for that. Thanks. Like you love doing you love having parties. Like it's true. It's and you you're really good at asking people for things like I'm not you know, like yeah. I could never do fundraising because it's just even if I believe in the cause, I just right. I'm really bad at asking for things. But you are very good at asking for things and you're really good at throwing parties and you're really good mm-hmm. at like having that kind of vibe. Man, that Thanks. is a perfect role for you. I never thought about that. But like, yeah, because obviously diversity of tactics, it takes all kinds to like get this get these movements. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. Like I, I hate that this is about like money and capital, but like literally it's helping. It's, it's unlike most activist work that I do. There's such like a tangible result. It's like you get, if I raise $500 yeah. at a house show, one person gets out of jail for, and doesn't have to spend the night in jail, which obviously we know is very important because it can be a really fucked up space and harmful to people. So. Yeah. And there's a yeah. lot of people that want to give money, but they don't know how. And right. so this is like the perfect thing because I think there's a lot of liberals that are like, they mm-hmm. support it. They're not going to go out and do jail support, but they'll give you right. 20 bucks. So right. thanks. Totally. We'll take yeah. it, you know? Yeah. And then for those of those of us who can't afford to give $20, then that's when we go and sit and make cookies and do jail support. You right. Know? Exactly. So exactly. everybody, everybody is useful. So that is so yeah. great. I'm so excited for you because you. you're going to be the best at that. And then- just let me know when your parties are so I can be jealous totally. and follow them online. <laughs> Will do. Yeah, I'm excited. Thank you. I'm I'm super stoked. So, yeah. And so that's that. another yeah. thing as amazing, when I was really involved in um, the Bike Coalition, which I'm not anymore for various reasons, nothing bad, it felt really good to have like a volunteer home and like yeah. know that I was doing important work totally. every week and like having those projects. It was just... I don't know. It just helped a lot, you know, when it's like you turn, you know, the world sucks right now and it's just, it's really nice and you're going to make so many awesome friends and I'm just so happy for you. So happy. Mel. I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm happy too. So speaking of the world being a fucking shit show, one of the things that happened this week was that Trump and co uh, worked to get rid of DACA which is the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. Do you want to talk through first reactions? I have a bunch of like talking points that I want to get through, but do you want to talk about any reactions before I get to my bullet points? My primary reaction is my students because Mm -hmm. I'm familiar with uh, students who both have been detained by ICE and who have family members or are direct recipients of DACA. And so those are the people that I think of the most. Mm -hmm. And I also think about how colleges are or are not supporting these students at this time. And so I worry because oftentimes when these things happen, the people who are directly impacted go quiet and they start to hide more. Mm -hmm. And I'm very thankful that I have direct communication with a few of the students. But, you know, that's basically my how I'm thinking about it primarily, and uh, that a lot of my students that aren't impacted by this did not know what DACA was, so I had to explain it to them this week, which I was happy yeah. to do. But there is actually what I what I did appreciate though 
coming out of our fake news era that thankfully didn't last too, too long because fuck you, Facebook. But they didn't have a lot of misinformation that they were sharing. So last year at this time, they probably would have been knowing exactly what it was and telling me all this like bullshit. But mm-hmm. instead, they just didn't know what it was. So I could just explain okay. it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Obviously, my my brain goes to to students as well. And also, of course, our our dear our dear friend who fought uh, our, our friend Jesus, who mm-hmm. listeners of the show know, uh, we talk about a lot, who fought for, for the DREAM Act, but also was very critical of it at the same time. And so I want to... Can you... Talk- can I just pause you? Why yeah. Can you explain why Jesus was critical of it? Yeah, uh, absolutely. For people who familiar with that critique. Absolutely. So those are some of my bullet points. So the first thing I want to say is that if you want to turn this off... And listen to a podcast, a different podcast who talked about this very well that uh, I saw a couple people post this actually this episode and I listened to some of it and I was like, oh, yeah, they're saying all of these points. So feel free to head over to Hoodrat to Headwrap, a decolonized podcast. That's the name of the show. It's two black folks who do a great job talking about current events. So if you're interested in that, feel free to hop on over there. If you're still here, I'll I'll run through some of those those some of the critiques that they're also talking about. So the first thing that and this is also what Jesus our friend was critical of as well DACA had always been something that dream activists knew was going to be a temporary fix uh it wasn't a long-term solution at all because first and foremost it provides two years of sort of sanctuary from being deported by ICE so two years is not is is almost nothing but it's two years where you can get a work permit and work to do other things to try to find pathways to citizenship, which DACA does not actually provide. So overall, that's not actually very good. But it did provide people two years of safety, sort of quote unquote guaranteed safety, I guess. And they could also work. In order to get it, it also requires that you have no criminal record. There's some tiny exceptions for like some very small scale things. But for the most part, you can't have any criminal record at all. And you also must be a high school graduate and or have enlisted in the military or fought in the military, which is also just like fucking ridiculous to think about how we expect immigrants to do everything, including serve in the fucking military, but they're not allowed to be citizens, which is just so fucked. So all of those things are you know, problematic, not not permanent fixes, don't actually challenge the, the, the system of immigration and borders, etc. enough. But it did provide this temporary fix that dream activists really needed for survival. And so, of course, it's very important to still, that's why hashtag defend DACA is trending, because it's really important for those people's temporary survival to, to have that. So that is that. Other thing. So does that all make sense? I mean, I mean, I know I'm. Do you want me to clarify anything or do you want to clarify something? No, that was great. I just wanted to make sure there's lots of critiques of DACA. So I just yeah. wanted to make sure that we're all clear on what Jesus stood for. Right, right. Totally. So it's a thing that I think we need to think about seizing this moment symbolically as a moment to remind people in sort of the public consciousness that immigrant justice is a thing that we all need to be thinking about, but we really need to think beyond DACA. We need to think about literally blocking ICE uh, trucks. We need to think about um, not speaking to ICE or any other federal agents who are trying to deport our neighbors. You know, we need to think about these long-term solutions to provide amnesty for immigrants and get rid of borders. Uh, if, if, If that's what you agree with, that's what I agree with. So that's my end goal. 
Other things that I think are important in this time are to think about sort of the signs that we're carrying to these DACA rallies and the things that we're saying. And a lot of this, of course, is stuff that I've learned from the mouths of Latinx people. And of course, there are immigrants who aren't Latinx, but because we live in a fucking racist country, <laughs> that's who they're talking about. They're talking about they're talking about brown folks. There are other people of color who who are, you know, black folks and and uh other kinds of brown people who aren't Latinx people, but though th- that's not the sort of public imagination. So that's just, um, and it's also not the, the, a lot of the leaders of the movement of the Dream Act movement are Latinx identified. So that's, that's that. One thing that comes out a lot in discourse is that we should defend DACA because we shouldn't punish children for what their parents did mm. as though coming to this country is a crime and those, their parents are bad, but the kids aren't bad. Mm. And, do you want to explain why that's like fucked up? Well, the general concept of borders being mm-hmm. false and that a lot some of the reason why people choose to come here is because there there's a humanitarian crisis where they're at, there's a civil rights civil rights crisis where they're at. They're living in deep deep poverty, which if you know your history in some places can connect right back to what we've done in Central America. And so we are often implicated in their own poverty and their own struggles. And so for us to then turn around and say, no, what you're doing is illegal. And also, how dare you bring in a child here that we now have to deal with is a little messed up. Well, I'm being sarcastic, a lot messed up. (laughs) And then on top of that, our capitalism system that we have set up here relies on the literal labor of these people. Mm-hmm. So it's extremely hypocritical of us to say that you should not be here. You cannot be here. You need to go. If we catch you, you're out. When if with, you know, a day without an immigrant, the point is, if all of the immigrants did a mass exodus out of here, our system, our capitalistic system would collapse. Right. I'm not an yeah. economic economic person. There's but I'm. It's just obvious. There's no way. Think about how many times you've worked with an immigrant from Central, South America, Mexico. Think about all the industries that rely on immigrants. I mean, that's our whole country. But if we're going to be with this, I love your the public imagination right now is with the brown people. Mm-hmm. And so for all those reasons, that's very problematic. Do you have more critiques than what I No, that's, that's, I think that's exactly all the, all the things that I wanted to mention. I actually want to jump to the thing you said about us all being immigrants. That's actually another thing that I think we need to be careful about saying at these rallies. Like, I I hear that chant at a lot or signs. Like, we are all immigrants. America's a nation of immigrants. Many of us are descendants of immigrants. So... America has native folks who are not immigrants. They're native to this land. America has descendants of slaves, and those slaves were not immigrants. They were literally stolen from their homeland and taken to what is now America. And so we it's tricky to say that we are all immigrants when most of us are descendants of colonizers, or many of us, white folks in particular, are are descendants of colonizers. And then that also is to say we're all immigrants or races, native folks, and races, uh, slave descendants. So um, that's another thing. That's another sign that I'm like, are we though? Are we really a nation of immigrants? I mean, so I get the, the rhetoric of that is to be like, you know, your ancestors also immigrated here, but it was it was different for you know the further back we go and we think about the colonization of this land so there's that also it's totally different but i think one strategy in talking to white people about this is that they have to remember that they were also immigrants and so right. if they're going to sit here and criticize people for being here illegally it wasn't that long ago that a lot of our yes. ancestors came over here without papers as well exactly 
Completely. And that a lot of the European nations, when those people immigrated here, were also vilified. It's yep. just not in our – we don't t- teach that in history classes because of white supremacy. Right. Exactly. Completely. So, yeah, I obviously understand the the rhetorical tool of that phrase, but I just think it's important to remember that that's not actually totally true. The final thing that I want to say about some of the rhetoric surrounding this is this, a lot of the people who are holding up and amplifying the fact that dreamers are required to be educated and or, quote unquote, the ones who fought for our country uh, in the military. And that creates a sort of like good immigrant, bad immigrant narrative as though like those are the good mm-hmm. ones, the ones who like went to, you know, finished high school, went to college, you know, fought in the armed forces, which if people listen to our podcast, we know that we are not all about, which is bullshit. Like people, immigrants deserve amnesty because they're humans, not because they're college graduates, not because they're military members, not because they never smoked weed in their life, but because they're humans. And so I think that's also an important thing to remember as we're thinking, as we're talking about this with people and writing out protest signs and things like that. That is a good point because I've been seeing a lot of stats being reshared about how perfect the DACA recipients are, you know, like 95% don't, you know, they're, you know, they don't commit crime, they're in school, they pay taxes, you know, which is very important. And I think some of those stats are possibly why collectively as a public, it seems like a lot of people are very supportive of keeping DACA in check, which mm-hmm. is interesting because it's the news is definitely, I think, creating a silent majority, not a silent majority, a silent minority because there's just been so much outpouring of support. And so I'm actually not sure how people who are against DACA feel because I feel like the news has just been very supportive. And I think mm-hmm. people are then emboldened to continue to show their support, rightfully so. But I think the stats are very compelling. But then, yes, it sets up a false narrative that, okay, so what are people going to start? Oh, are you DACA? Oh, you're cool then because you're DACA. But if you're not DACA, if you're not a DACA recipient, then you're going to still hold on to your stereotypes that you have about immigrants from the South. Like, I don't, because then that, that idea of having the rest of them, you know, using language that I would not use, quote unquote, the rest of them are what criminals or right. here super illegally or what? I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's some, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Life it's... is great. <laughs> you know, I think it's a reminder that we need to keep fighting bullshit immigration, racist, xenophobic immigration laws um, beyond just DACA and I think we need to leave it at that for now for the sake of all we can do in a podcast. But those are those are some things that we were thinking through regarding DACA. So should we move on to something probably, I mean, I think more inspirational. I mean, it's it's related. Uh, we're, when we were trying to figure out, we actually had an interview scheduled and, and we had to reschedule it. And so we were like, oh, well, then what should we talk about this week? And we decided to talk about some inspirational activists who we've been inspired by. And obviously, you know, dream dream activists are also inspiring. But I also think that, you know, we didn't name any other than our friend Jesus. We didn't name any individuals. So we're about to name individuals. But I think it's also important to remember that who we're talking about are sort of figureheads for much movements that are full of so many people. And so while we're celebrating these individuals, you know, it's part of these these bigger movements that are that are full of all these people who don't have names or, or get recognized. But with that said, Melody, who came to mind when I was like, let's talk about activists we're inspired by? So the ones that came to my mind were some of the 
activists that have been very visible and have used visuals to do their work. And so Bree Newsom and Leisha Evans is are my two ones, but I also was thinking about Erica Gardner, who is Eric Gardner's daughter. And I actually started thinking about the NFL too, even uh, they're not WTF, so I'm not going to spend any time talking about them today. But if you all aren't familiar with Michael Bennett's recent altercation with the police, he is a he is a Seattle Hawks Seahawks player, and then his brother is actually a Green Bay Packers person and we are not NFL we're not pro NFL on the show but what I am pro of is athletes taking their immense immense voice and space that they have and using it to promote the end to police brutality and other political um, issues so what Colin Kaepernick was doing and so there's a lot of there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on in the NFL right now that we can I can I can talk about later. I don't want to spend any more time, but they also came to mind because this week they're speaking out very loudly against mm-hmm. some personal police brutality. Mm-hmm. Do you want me to share my peeps first? Yeah, talk about the 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 women you mentioned. So the f- the first person or the person that came to my mind right away, and I love this because Rachel was like, "What was your question to me?" You're like, what is an inspiring WTF activist or something? Something like that. Yeah. I love this because then we just both did our homework and came back and now we're reporting. And so we didn't know what each other was doing. And like, I don't know. It's just we talk about people a lot, but never do we ask such pointed questions to each other. Like if you could, you know, pick one person or. Right. uh, So this is anyways, I enjoyed doing this. Yeah. Um, But so I picked I picked Brie Newsome. Because pers- I have, there's no, I don't want to talk about my personal reasons. Um, but I, d- okay. I do want to talk about, well, I feel like it's white tears if I talk about my personal okay. reasons. Okay, that's fair. I'm appreciating her right now and her bold activism that she does. It is inspiring to me and it is uplifting. Mm-hmm. Because I'm What also, did she do? Tell us what she did. Um, yeah, get to the point, right, Melody? <laughs> she is burying the lead here. You may remember her as the righteous person who scaled the state house of South Carolina's flagpole and took down the Confederate flag in late June of 2015. And this was right after Dylan Roof had killed nine people in uh, the AME Black Church in Charleston. And if you remember right after that, the response nationally as a conversation was to take down Confederate flags because Dylan Roof used the Confederate flag as part of his white nationalist activism. And so he used that to propel his ideas. And so, again, we reignited a conversation about the Confederate flag. Do you remember when we were in South Carolina and saw the Confederate flag out? I sure do. It was. Yeah. At a, at the state house, like at yep. government buildings, yep. it is. Yep, it's. This is my Midwest person talking. Yep. Like I I was ignorant of of that many yeah. years ago, and then I was like, "Holy shit, it's still here." This is yep. how do you people? How do y'all deal with this? Yeah, you know. But I guess the same could be said. I mean, I drive, I bike past Jamar Clark's site of his shooting like all the time. Right. I bike right. past the fourth precinct all the time. Right. Don't worry. I have plenty to say when I bike past both of those things. I Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I think you forget when when you live with such trauma that it's Absolutely. Fucked. I mean everybody knows it's it's fucked up, but it's anyways. 
My point being, late late June 2015 reignited a very important conversation about the Confederate flag. She worked with some activists on the DL, and they decided that they're just going to take the damn flag down themselves. They're, they were sick of waiting. And so she scaled the flagpole and took it down. Interestingly enough, one thing that they actually really talked about the symbolism of who was going to scale the f- the flagpole. And so they decided that it was going to be a black woman. But mm-hmm. then they also, so this is from her her uh, statement that she made right after her arrest for scaling the, the flagpole, was that as a group, they decided that a black woman should scale the pole and that a white man should be the one that helps her over the fence as a sign that, quote, our allegiance transcends both racial and gender divides. We made this decision because for us, this is not simply about a flag, but rather it is about abolishing the spirit of hatred and oppression in all of its forms. Mm. And I found that I did not know that about the history of, of this action, that mm-hmm. they they were very symbolic because we see the visual, well, at rightfully show, so the visual is her scaling the flagpole, but right. that they also had brought in gender and race dynamics. Like the whole thing was very symbolic for them as well, yep. like the whole action. I love I love that you shared that. I didn't know that history either. And I think so often these activist moments become concretized as just these like rebellious moments in time where somebody did this thing. But usually, as you know, they're always a result of, of larger groups of people working together to strategically push push social change and, and thinking about these symbolic things. Same thing with like Rosa Parks. Like that was very strategic and planned out. It wasn't that she just sat on the bus because she was tired. So so thanks for sharing that history. And that's that is interesting because we I don't you know, I had no idea that a white man helped her over the fence. Uh, so right. That's interesting. Yeah. And I would say, I think it also helps us activists or people who want to get involved in the movement to think I could never have that courage to Mm -hmm. do that. But they were supported by a lot of people behind the Mm -hmm. scenes that we don't Mm -hmm. know about that we, you know, it's not, it doesn't end up in our history. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, like Rachel was talking about what she wants to be doing now with the bail fund and like, you might not be Brie Newsome, but you could be part of the team that supports her um, logistically and, and that you do find the courage when you have people behind you supporting you. Totally. Totally. So with that said too, uh, she had one of the main thing that she wanted to to get out after her action was she said, quote, now is the time to use real courage, unquote. And that was something that I was really resonated with, too, and that it's important, like we have to be courageous now, if not now, yes. when. So can I just read a little bit more from her statement? Please. Yeah. So she says in response to her action For far too long, white supremacy has dominated the politics of America, resulting in the creation of racist laws and cultural practices designed to subjugate non-whites. And the emblem of the Confederacy, the stars and bars, and all its manifestations has long been the most recognizable banner of this political ideology. It's the banner of racial intimidation and fear, whose popularity experiences an uptick whenever Black Americans appear to be making gains economically and politically in this country. It's a reminder how, for centuries, the oppressive status quo has been undergirded by white supremacist violence, with the tacit approval of too many political leaders. I refuse to be ruled by fear. How can America be free and be ruled by fear? How can anyone be? Mm. I love that. I love that too. No fear. Yeah. And that's a, that's a Nina Simone quote. Freedom to me means no fear. Mm -hmm. I love Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And 
the other thing that she brought up, which we can nerd out some other time, is is she did start talking about being an outside agitator, which mm-hmm. is often a argument used against protesters. Like, you know, if there's a mass protest, oh my god, did they they didn't even use that in um, Charlottesville? Mfers, what? You know how they always tell us, like, you know, if we all go to Chicago, well, it's all the outside agitators. They're all just coming oh, in from right. other places. Chicago doesn't actually feel this way, right? Right, right. All those people came from all over, and it yeah. wasn't like, oh, sorry, yeah. I just had a mini rage attack there. That it's like, yeah. oh, look at all these outside agitators coming in, like that people in, anyways, okay, reversal use of tactics. So, anyways. You know, because she wasn't from that town. Um, right. But she said that she has this really interesting. She said humanitarian humanitarianism has no borders. And then she said, even if there were borders to my empathy. And I really like that concept of borders of hmm. there's no borders to protesting. There's no borders to speaking out because oftentimes mm-hmm. we are told what the border is, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, like when Dontre Hamilton was shot and killed in Milwaukee, I came down from Minneapolis and I remember being told, like, don't say too much that you're from out of town because mm-hmm. they want to make sure that it's a local movement, which I understand. That's fine. Right. I understand yeah. that. But in some, po- in some aspects, it is important to show that empathy has no borders, that they're, mm-hmm. that their people moved enough to come in from, you know, the West Coast to support people on yeah. the East Coast and, and vice versa. But I really liked how she brought in that concept of borders to talk about mm-hmm. her her political work. Totally. Yeah, that, that was that was great. Um, thank you for digging into that to her statement. Yes. And um, she if you're interested, she is on Twitter as at Brie Newsome. And she's been tweeting a lot about the hurricane relief efforts and then also the NFL with Colin Kaepernick because he still hasn't gotten a job at the NFL, which who cares, but mm-hmm. it's the the issue is that he's not getting re-signed because of his political work. He's like one right. of the best he's one of the best NFL players. And people that are much worse than him are getting signed to contracts. So fuck you, NFL, for the eighth eight hundredth reason, you know. Yeah. Totally. Um and then I just wanted to give a shout out to um Leisha Evans, who was also actually profiled at the U2 concert. I was like, are you this is amazing. Rightfully so though, you know, as I was thinking about this today about what you two did it's like is it really righteous or is it what everybody should be doing yeah you know like i don't want to give a pat on the back to a white guy for profiling a bunch of for lifting up a bunch of women i think it's rad i think it's great i loved personally seeing it but at the same time i'm criticizing what i'm saying as well by saying like yeah like everybody right. should like you're a white dude band and you help propel right. more rock and roll that is all white dudes right. what have you done in your own industry to make sure that people of color women of color women all women get more work in the music industry right. i'd like to hear totally. more about that you know because yeah. beck didn't say shit about women but he had or anything but he had i think only one one white dude backup person the other Mm. the rest of the band were not white dudes there were all sorts of other you know yeah all sorts of other people i feel really weird saying language like that two white women african-american male drummer i'm assuming an african-american male guitar player to be more specific with my language um so he kind of showed that you know like yeah uh here's how i'm you know working on diversifying the music industry because it is so white male dominated in rock and roll totally totally oh okay little side sorry about that but leisha (laughs) evans um she was the woman there was that very 
stunning visual of her crossing her arms and riot police kind of pushing, like kind of almost falling back, it looks like, when they were trying to arrest her. And again, that's a very visual moment that she actually did just kind of decide on her own. Like she was new to protesting. It was her first it was her first protest. She was coming out to support her son, who's five years old, who could have been shot and killed like Philando or Elton Sterling. And that photo really spoke and reminded me of how important visuals are and how, again, sometimes, you know, these seem like the leaders, the the big things we remember, but there are stories behind them and there are people that are out there for specific reasons. And it made me LOL in a sympathetic way because the Pepsi commercial that, did we ever talk about the Pepsi commercial on the, on air? I feel we like we didn't. Break? I think we were on our break. Yeah. And I think when we came back, you're like, eh, it's like, it's. It's overdone at this point. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not. But anyways, to bring back old, old news, if you haven't seen it, the Pepsi commercial with uh, Caitlyn Jenner. Kendall. Kendall. Kendall, Whatever. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) Thank you, celebrity. Yep. Scholar. I'm not familiar. Okay. Okay. A Kenner. A Kenner of some kind. Um, made a, made a Pepsi, a horribly tone deaf Pepsi commercial, but the ending was a riff on the visual of Leisha making the police fall back instead of, instead Miss Kenner hands a Pepsi to this like very hot looking police officer and stops like all the violence. Right. Just everybody stops. And it's like, yep, not the same, but thanks anyways. Right. Just interesting to see how corporate media picks up cultural values and regurgitates them back to us. Yeah. Um, yep. I was talking about that with my class. Like, does the media reflect our cultural values or does the media take them up and exploit them? Or do we learn our cultural values through the media? Those are the questions we Those, ask. And they're important ones to consider. Totally. Those were good picks, Mel. Thank you. I love this. Let's do this more. Yeah. And another like. It's like it's a, funny. Like, it's funny because. Go ahead. No, I was just going to come up with things that we could do, like favorite, oh. favorite scholar or favorite yeah. academic book or and then not tell each other because often we're telling each other what we're going to talk about. Right. And then this time we're just like surprised and we learn things because we're totally listening I, yeah, to each just, other's research. Exactly. I just learned a lot. It's also funny because you went. I, I literally, I think I must have just said, you know, let's do inspiring activists. And my you did not say went, history. I did not say historical, but that's where my brain went. So it's interesting. You chose two contemporary folks and I chose some not as some of them. Two of them are still living that I chose, but they were doing, you know, they're known for work that was older. The first person I wanted to highlight who I, I'm sure some many of our listeners know, but probably not all. Lucy Gonzalez Parsons is one of the first lady anarchists, anarcho-communists, more specifically activists that I learned about that influenced my own politics. She was a former slave of native, native African-American and Mexican-American descent. And after emancipation, she met anarchist Albert Parsons, who was one of the Haymarket rioters, and they married illegally Ooh. because of miscegenation rules. So it's, what does that mean? What does that mean? Mis- uh, miscegenation mis- is laws about white people marrying non-white people and how it was illegal um, in many states until the, God, 70s or 80s, something obscenely late. Somebody can correct me if I'm if I'm off on that. So they were this interracial couple and she was doing amazing socialist organizing work. And I think we don't hear enough, particularly in that era, 
which really glorifies all the the white well not not exclusively white but mostly white dudes who are sort of upheld in in that era of anarchist and and socialist movement work she was a woman and and a non-white woman who was fierce as fuck and she was doing the work of intersectional activism before intersectionality was a term. So she was going to IWW meetings and conventions and talking about the importance of thinking about gender and sexuality even alongside class oppression. Albert Parsons was hung after the Haymarket riots, uh, which I think we've talked about on the show before, but there was... Not uh, too much. There was protests about during a strike and the basically there was a scuffle that is to this day undetermined of who threw an explosive first whether it was the cops or an anarchist or some or somebody else uh but basically anarchists got blamed for you know any violence that happened at this riot some of them were hung uh as sort of a symbol against organizing workplaces and anarch anarchism and socialism in general in the US so albert was one of those people who was who was killed so after he died, she continued her work. She started with a woman named Lizzie Holmes, a publication called Freedom, a revolutionary anarchist communist monthly. And she just continued to work on behalf of poor folks, women, non-white folks in the U.S. who were oppressed in various ways and speaking specifically to those different kinds of oppressions until she died in, when she was 89 in an accidental fire. But she's one of my faves. And accidental or for real? Well, a pretty happened. the IWW bio of her itself said accidental, and I trust them because if anybody was gonna like okay. be like it was probably pieces of shit that are trying to kill her, I think the IWW would name that. Um, so totally. I'm gonna I'm gonna trust trust that. So she also has some really good quotes. She's very quotable. Some that I really like are "Never be deceived that the rich will permit you to vote away their wealth." So, yeah. like, yeah, you're you, not. You tell them. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, very, mm -hmm. like, anti-reformist. Another thing she was known for is getting pissed as fuck that the labor movement wanted to start, like, siding with the Democratic Party more and trying to get more, like, in the mm -hmm. system. She was like, they are not going to give us what we need. Like, do not cozy up to them. So true still, So true Lucy. still. So true still. Yeah. So that's so there's a bunch. I could say more about her, but she's amazing. Look her up if you're interested. Yeah. So that's that's Lucy. We're kind of running low on time, so I could stop and we could just do this another time unless you want me to go through my others. Well, I feel bad because I took up so much time talking about it's OK. Newsome. No, it's OK. I think it's fine. We'll we'll do this another time. I'll stop with Lucy. I'll talk about my others. I'll let people know I was going to talk about Iris Morales of the Young Lords Party, Puerto, Puerto Rican militant. Uh, organization. A lot of people compare, like, talk about them as like the Puerto Rican version of the Black Panthers. But honestly, they were even more accountable to like gender gender dynamics than than the Panthers were. And you know, women in the Panthers would would say that themselves. And then I was also going to talk about Rizmia um, Ode, and I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. But what's interesting when I was like, am I pronouncing that? But the fucking mainstream media didn't fucking talk anything about her, so I almost never hear her name out loud. I only like read about her. Um, but she's a Palestinian freedom fighter who's been who'd been fighting for Palestinian liberation against Zionist Israel for a long time and uh, was tortured and raped brutally by Israeli forces to the extent that she ended up supposedly uh, admitting to being a part of a bombing because she was being tortured in order to, like, say information that may or may not be true. She ended up in the United States. 
eventually the United States wanted to arrest her for these these crimes that she, you know, which, which she will say, did, you know, did not commit. And uh, nobody took into account the fact that she was brutalized by by Israeli forces for trying to fight for her freedom as a Palestinian woman. And it was a long, drawn-out case. There was a lot of support from, you know, pro-Palestine folks in the U.S. But eventually she was deported. And just this past August, she was deported, stripped of her citizenship, and also fined for... Uh, immigration fraud. So it was a it was a tough case, but she's a really amazing a really amazing person um, who went through so much and continued to be punished for trying to have <laughs> trying to be you know trying for fighting for for liberation for a nation that has been so brutalized and so oppressed. And she's somebody that's worth learning about as well. So those are the two the other two I was going to mention, but folks can look that up on their own time if they want. Yeah, we can. I like this segment. We should bring it back because I was just thinking of another person that I'd want to talk about in terms of the accidental death thing mm-hmm. so okay yeah and then uh, you know what our outro song would be that day what accidental death it's just your accidental ex- death yep mm-hmm. you're an indian in a cougar's nest jenny mm-hmm. lewis do yeah. we need to call you on that probably we'll have to we'll have to investigate this was fun we could we Go could ahead. do like a whole series on like Activists who've died from quote unquote accidental deaths, but they haven't. We could. We could do at least Done. a show on that. Yeah. What are you reading, watching, and listening to this week? I read this amazing graphic novel called What Are We Even Doing With Our Lives? The Most Honest Children's Book of All Time. Hmm. It, it is based on the Richard Scary books. Do you remember those? Yeah, I do. And so the concept of Richard Scarry books are that there's like all these, there's lots of animation and then they, not animation, illustration, and then they're like, this is a giraffe a dog, a cup, and then they'll be like, Daddy Bear went to work today. Mommy Bear stayed at home to take care of her children. But it I don't know what the, like, pedagogically what the point of the books are, but mm-hmm. it's an amazing, amazing graphic novel, and it just uses the concept of Richard's scary books to just critique our society. Mm, that sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. It is very cool. And so... I we're out of time, so I'd like to say more, but that is all I will say for that. I was I recommend checking it out of the library. Cool. I'm watching this amazing show that my student told me about called Mr. Robot. He is like an, an anonymous hacker that does things good for the world, but he's very messed up, like he's schizophrenic and he's really dreamy to look at. Is it Christian but Slater? He, no, but he no, oh yeah, Christian Slater is Mr. Robot, but the main protagonist that you sympathize with is this other guy named elliot okay because yeah have you seen it i haven't i know i have heard of it though um oh he's not well oh come on no 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 not in the show okay i don't find him to be dreamy he's kind of scuzzy like they make him look kind of slimy and greasy he was just like a big crush of mine because i basically wanted to be winona Ryder and date christian slater yeah and you know what you probably would like him in the show anyways because (laughs) he's a he's a hacker for good like he's trying to convince elliot to hack into the system that could erase everybody's debt. Mm, love it. Yeah, I would to totally put, fuck him on that show. Yes. Okay. He's just not. <laughs> I'd be, I'm more, as you will probably guess, attracted to the Femi hacker boy. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, good. And, we won't have to, you know, in this fictional world where we're going to date the characters of Mr. Robot, we won't have to fight over who we get. <laughs> that is des- definitely like why we're still friends. Yeah. Probably because we never fight. <laughs> never over fight over. We, we have trip. different crush. Yeah. <laughs> Although you're you're into like butch women. Yeah. Which I am too. like, but you're more. That might be an area which we would fight, but not really because. Right. 
my butchness is more complex. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I don't. Anyways. What are you listening another to? Time. Thank you. Uh, old Beyonce. Love old it. Beyonce. Because I needed some like, girl, you're the best. I really mm-hmm. needed her to say that. And I actually said the word B, like the B word when she was telling the yeah. bitches to sit down. I was like, yeah, yeah bitch, sit down. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I really needed her this week, and so I brought my boom bot into my car because I still don't have an aux thing, and I listen to Spotify. Love it. Thank you. <laughs> Moving on. What are um, you, RWLing? Well, the aforementioned application that I was working on that I may or may not finish because of this feedback I got inspired me to read some reread, some Franz Fanon and Walter Benjamin, Ooh. which is great because they're pretty cool Marxist-leaning evolutionary writer, or well, like not like revolutionary era, but like invested in revolution writers who are saying some really cool shit. And I'm also reading, shout out to my dear friend Shannon Weber, who just got her first piece published in Bitch Magazine. Congrats, Shannon. Uh, Yay! And it's called Pure Evil, The Entwined History of White Supremacy and Fat Hatred. And it's about Heather Heyer and the responses to Heather Heyer's death that, uh, I don't know if you saw any of this, these responses that, uh, you know, from disgusting piece of shit white supremacists and Nazis who were, uh, you know, saying things about it being a good thing that this fat, childless cow is dead because et cetera, et cetera. So lots of discussions of her body and her and her weight and the fact that she was childless. And so Shannon has this really brilliant and important historical analysis of uh, the ways in which like fatness is precluded from white whiteness in particular ways and the way that fat hatred and white supremacy are um, interlo- you know interlocked and how Heather's Heather's death uh, demonstrates so much of that. It's it's a really intense read. It's it's really good. It's good for um, fat studies classes and uh, any any I would I would recommend it for many classes as a as a sort of supplement to to talking about some of these issues. So highly recommend that. Uh, watching to turn my brain off Bachelor in Paradise. It's really fucking bad and stupid, but I turned it on this week. <laughs> What's going on with Dean, man? He's a fuckboy. He's he's basically that's what somebody yeah, said on Twitter. He's a fuckboy. That's just plain and simple. He was stringing two women along and being a total fuckboy about it. So, Deanie baby's not not so great. And listening to a bunch of stuff. I put a call out on Facebook to get requests for new music to transition from summer to fall. And like, it was like the most commented on thing I've ever posted on Facebook, which is fine. And I got a lot of, got a lot of good recommendations, but I was like, why can't people post on this when I post like political things? Um, but lots of people wanted to recommend me, recommend me music. So that was great. And I got some good advice. So listening to a ton of really good uh, music that, as I described, sounds like sweaters and gourds. Mm. I love it. Yeah. I love fall. Yeah. I love fall. Cool. My pain is over. The leaves are falling. I know. Will... <laughs> I know. I'm so happy. We made it through another summer, Rachel. I know. We did it. We did it. Woo. Congrats. Go team. All right. And on that note, WTF. Power. Time's hands turn to punch straight away. A memory faded to dust of a love you once made. 
There were the nights of the midnight ramble The roaring tumble, toss and gamble There were hot suppers on the table Electric spade and ramble stable They'd watch the sunsets on the shoreline Walk hand in hand towards the starshine Oh, raise the windows, feel the rain dance Sound the set of a deep and romance But you can leave, no You did all you could All the things that you should And time's hands turn To pine straight to me Memory feed it to dust Of love you once me Love you once Love you once you can me Love you once, me. Love.